0: My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. Glad y'all are with us um, this morning. A couple of things as we prepare our hearts for worship. One, um, Charles Sineth is with us this morning. He's going to be sharing the message. Some of you uh, know him. Some of you may not. But if you're a part of Stonebridge, it's appropriate he's here on Father's Day. He's, your, he's one of your spiritual fathers. Um, uh, the net, our network of churches started 20 years ago, 1999. Uh, God used Charles, his faithfulness, his obedience, his humility, his courage. Um, he was the first pastor at what was then Wesleyan Fellowship, now Riverstone and Stonebridge, Vintage in Dallas, Highlands, which is um, uh, forming here right now, River City in Smyrna, Sojourn in East Cobb, Arise Life in Kennesaw. All of these churches have benefited um, from Charles's uh, faithfulness. And the Lord has used him uh, in a powerful way. So again, whether you know him or not, he's had an influence on your life. If you're a part of Stonebridge, so we're really uh, honored to have him here to share with us this morning. Uh, I do want to uh, do want to acknowledge fathers. If you're a dad, stand up. Stand up if you're a dad, and then everybody can clap for them. Wonderful. Thank y'all. And I do want to mention um, just the importance, I think Charles being here again, it's just appropriate today, the importance of spiritual fatherhood. And this is true for every man, regardless of your family situation, whether you're single, whether you have children in your home, whether you're an empty nester, or grandparent. If you're a, a man, then there's an opportunity and I would say a responsibility to be a spiritual father to others and that can sound weighty it doesn't have to be there's a lot that could be said about that but maybe just two things as we again prepare our hearts for worship one of the things that we have a, an opportunity to do again as as men is to embody the character of our heavenly father and by embody you know, people can't see god but they can see you and none of us can perfectly or completely or inclusively embody the character of god but we can embody certain aspects of his character, and that has influence on people who are connected to you. That prayer that Jesus gave us to pray that begins, Our Father who is in heaven, for better or for worse, the people who know you, when they say Our Father, some of the content of that phrase is shaped by the men in their life. You don't need to hear that as heavy, but as an opportunity. God has created you in his image and you do embody some of his characteristics and that again is a, both a privilege and an opportunity to demonstrate to other people who he is and how he acts and the other thing I would say as a spiritual father and again there's more that could be said but the importance of going first when I think about Charles that's one of the things that I think about the importance of of going first when you your pursuit of Jesus Creates a trail or a path for others who are coming behind you. When they see how you pursue him, that helps them begin to recognize and acknowledge and understand what it means for them to pursue him as well. Some of you are more verbal than others. Some of you are more action-oriented. Some of you are thinkers. Some of you are feelers. Some of you are introverts, extroverts. None of that. that's That's all fine. None of that necessarily matters. God, again, has wired each of us individually and it all it all works what's important is as you pursue him for you to recognize that other you're making a way you're creating a path for other people to pursue him as well and that's not nothing regardless of whether you feel like you have an official position whether that's in the church or in a ministry whether you even feel like you have influence in the lives of others know that you do know that you do and that your obedience you may never see how, but your obedience is creating a trail for others to follow.
1: Oh, and praise man, I enjoyed that. But I got to thinking, you know who enjoyed that better than we did? God enjoyed that. God really did. Enjoy that. And I'm glad that we could bring him something. I'm glad to be here. It's been 20 years since I've preached three times. (laughs) Used to do it. I'm 80 years old. So I better not talk much because I talk slow. Turn in your cell phone, please, to John chapter 14. I think it's going to be on the screen. Listen to these familiar words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Go back, say this with me. No one comes to the Father except through me. People say we Christians are arrogant. We didn't say that. Jesus said that. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us a Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then I want to read this one verse from the uh, 15th chapter of Matthew, the 26th verse, the 23rd verse, excuse me, Jesus did not answer her a word. Now let's pray before I preach. Father, give me grace to preach the truth with love and give your people grace to listen Not to me, but to you as you speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. He was deadly serious. With deep earnestness, he looked intently at me, almost pleading, almost demanding, and said, I want some answers. Lovingly, I hope, I inquired, what are your answers. What are your questions? One by one, he recited them. Real questions. Honest questions. Hard questions. Complicated questions. Most of them were questions I couldn't answer. Why does God do this? Why doesn't God do that? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why doesn't God do that? Why did this happen? Why do people do this? Why did this happen to me? Why don't Christians do this? Oh, he had good questions, valid questions, and he wanted answers. But the only answer I could give and be honest was, I don't know. Now, friends, (laughs) there used to be a time in my life when I wouldn't have done that. As a pastor, when people came to me with questions, especially theological or biblical questions, I thought I had to give them answers. Even if I didn't know the answer, I had to pretend that I did. After all, I had to uphold my reputation as a man of God. To have confessed ignorance or inability to answer would damage my credibility. That was pride and spiritual immaturity. Thank goodness the Lord has brought me beyond that. Now I can be honest enough to confess my inability to always understand God, what he does, why he does it, what he doesn't do, why he doesn't do it, how he operates. I don't have an answer, so my only answer to many questions is, I don't know. Dear friends, we live in a complex and complicated world, and we have a great God who is often shrouded in mystery. God spoke a significant truth about himself when he said through Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's why I get so weary of those people who seem to have all the answers. I get weary of Christians who always have an easy and ready answer to any possible question about God and his ways. They act as if they have some special understanding of the heart and minds and ways and plans and purposes of God that the rest of us don't have. I'll tell you something else. I'm not only weary of those folks, I'm sick and tired of them. (laughs) They somehow think that they can bring the great and mysterious and awesome God down to some simplistic Understandable human level. They make God seem so small. I'm wary of that. I'm wary of people, Christians like that. The truth is, not even David Eldridge has all the answers. (laughs) But he's got a lot of them. There are some questions about God, His person, His plans, His ways that will never be understood until we get to heaven. That's why the Bible witnesses so often to the seeming silence of God. Samuel said to the people of Israel, When that day comes, you will cry out, and the Lord will not answer you. King Solomon, King Saul inspired of the Lord as to whether he should attack the Philistines, but God did not answer him. The sore afflicted Job complained, I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. In anguish, David cried, "Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. God does not always answer. So much of the time we think that if we study enough, we can learn enough and know enough to get all our questions answered, and answer everybody else's questions too. Some people seem to give us the impression that if we could only answer all their questions, then they would become a believer in Christ. Well, if that's their condition to commitment, if that's your question condition to commitment, it will never be satisfied. To be sure, we won't answer. You want answers, I want answers, we all want answers, but we can't always give them or get them even from Jesus. You look at his life in ministry as recorded in the Gospels. So many times it was hard to get a direct answer from Jesus. Matthew fifteen twenty three, The Canaanite woman comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his, her de, demon-possessed daughter. And Matthew reports that Jesus did not answer her a word. Now later the master did heal her daughter. But I want us to note Jesus' initial response to that mother's plea. Did, Jesus did not answer her a word. In Mark 10 we read about the rich young ruler who asked this question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. Nod your head. Say amen. Amen. That is a good question, an honest question. But look at Jesus' response. Why do you call me good? Sisters and brothers, that wasn't an answer. That was another question. Jesus was always doing that, asking another question in response to a question. Over in Mark chapter 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem. The master was confronted by the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. They asked a deep theological question. By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you authority to do this? What they were talking about was Jesus' decisive action in driving the money changers out of the temple just the day before. Look at the master's strange response to their question. I will ask you a question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from men? Jesus wouldn't give them an answer. Oh yes, it was hard. So very hard, so very often to get an answer from Jesus. Pontius Pilate experienced that. Remember when Jesus stood before him at his trial, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now that's a pretty simple question. Yes or no? Are you the king of the Jews? And how did Jesus answer? He said, Is that your own idea? Or did others tell you about me? Have you ever wondered why Jesus wouldn't answer their question? Was Jesus just being coy, evasive? Or do you suppose it was because he knew it would be better if they arrived at the correct answer on their own? In some cases, it might have been because the master knew that they weren't asking the right questions. Whatever his reason, I suspect that Jesus knew what he was doing knew exactly what he was doing when he wouldn't give them answers. At any rate, it gives me a sense of comfort when I can't get answers to my questions to remember all those times when Jesus wouldn't give them answers either. Sisters and brothers, let me tell you something I have learned about our Lord. So often, he doesn't give us answers. But I'll tell you what he does give us. He gives us something better. He gives us himself. Sisters and brothers, that is enough because, you see, he is the answer. And glory to God, when we've got him, we've got the answer even when we don't have all the answers. Good news, good news, good news. When we know the answer, we can live in peace and confidence and victory and hope, not knowing all the answers. Think about it. Which had we really rather have if we can't have both? Answers or the answer. In the ninth chapter of John, we read about the healing of the man who had been born blind, the one whose sight was restored when Jesus put clay on his eyes and had him wash it off in the pool of Siloam. That miracle aroused a lot of questions in the city. Was he blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? Is this the same man who used to sit and beg, or is it another How was he healed? How can a man who is a sinner, since he healed him on the Sabbath, perform such signs? The young man whose sight has been restored could not answer any of their questions. But look what he did say. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. Here's what I know. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know all the answers. But I know the only answer that really matters. Yesterday I was blind, but today because of him I can see. At the gate of the temple, when Peter and John had come to pray, there sat a lame man who daily begged. He asked for songs, some donation, some gift of charity. People said, Peter said to him, silver or gold I do not have but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Precious sisters and brothers, please listen to me. So often we cannot give people what they ask, cannot give them the things they seek, cannot give them the answers they desire and want. But glory to God, we can give them something better than silver or gold, something better than answers to the questions. We can give them Jesus, the answer to their deepest need, their real need, their eternal need. Whatever the need, whatever the question, Jesus is the answer. And just as healthy legs are far far better than silver and gold, even so better than answers is Jesus the answer. Jesus was telling them about heaven, a house of many dwelling places personally prepared for the children of God where Jesus himself would await them. Thomas asked a question. How can we know the way? Note Jesus' response to the question. He didn't give Thomas directions. He didn't give Thomas instructions. He didn't give Thomas a roadmap. Instead, he gave him himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Dear friends, Jesus doesn't always give us answers but he always gives us something better. He gives us himself the answer. Thomas, you don't need directions, instructions, or a road map in order to know the way. You've got me. I am the way. Sisters and brothers, we can do without answers when we have Jesus the answer. Jesus is the answer. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. To know Jesus is to know the way. To know Jesus is to know the truth. To know Jesus is to know life. To know Jesus is to know the answer. There are some things, many things, we do not know. There are some things, many things, we will never understand this side of heaven. There are some questions. Many questions that will never be answered until we get to glory. But believe me, we can live with that when we have Jesus. Because he is the answer to all the questions that really matter. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? Let me tell you about Debbie Ellison. Debbie was a young married woman who came to faith in Jesus Christ through a church I once served. Her life was radiantly transformed. Soon after her conversion, we had a disciple making exercise called The Great Experiment 10 Brave Quest Christians. A part of the discipline of that experiment. Was a commitment to give two hours of service in ministry every week for a month. Debbie came to me, her pastor, and asked what her service in ministry could be. She was an operating room down at, an operating nurse down at Windy Hill Hospital when it was a real hospital. <laughs> she got off at three o'clock. Now Debbie was a new Christian. She may have known John 3.16, but she didn't know Romans on day one. <laughs> but I said, Debbie, when you get off at 3 o'clock, you go up on the nursing floor, and you ask the nurses at the nursing station there to tell you the patients who don't get much company. So after she got off, she went up and said, who, who on this wing doesn't get much company? And they told her about Mr. Brown. Say, Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown. Say, Mr. Say it. <laughs> you don't say it, I'm not going on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she went down there. She was really excited. She knocked on the door. A gruff voice said, come in. She went in. She was a beautiful young lady. Smiling, glowing. Don't cheer him up. And, uh, She began to talk to Mr. Brown. He was a bitter man. He was a diabetic who had had both legs amputated. Young, sweet, naive, innocent Debbie tried to cheer him up. But Mr. Brown didn't want to be cheered up. He wanted no part of it. Being a new young Christian, the only witness Debbie Ellington knew how to make was, Mr. Brown, God loves you and I love you too. To which Mr. Brown responded, to hell you say. If God loves me, why do I have diabetes? If God loves me, why did my legs have to be amputated? If God loves me, why won't my wife and children even come to see me? Don't you dare tell me that God loves Sorry, I can't get my papers apart. Debbie was stunned. She'd never encountered anything like this in her life. She'd never been spoken to like that in her life. She began to cry because this visit wor- wasn't working out at all the way she had hoped or expected. Regaining some of her composure after Mr. Brown entered. Uh, ended his bitter tirade. She said, Mr. Brown, I can't answer your question. I don't know why you have diabetes. I don't know why you lost your legs. I don't know why your wife and children won't come and visit you, though she suspected. <laughs> she knew the answer to that last <laughs> All I know, Mr. Brown, is that Jesus Christ has come into my life and completely changed it. And if you'll let him He changed your life, too. And with that, she turned and ran out of the room. The next afternoon, Debbie returned to Mr. Brown's room to apologize for leaving so abruptly. To his credit, Mr. Brown apologized, too, for talking so gruffly to Debbie. Then he said to her, Young lady, you told me that Jesus Christ had come into your life Completely changed it. What what do you mean? Tell me about it. Debbie told him about her experience when she had been living in bondage to fear and guilt and sin and uncertainty and worry and anxiety and hopelessness when a good news team from our church came to faith in Jesus. Two of the members of that team, Robin Burris and Jim Cagle, go to this church. The other one doesn't. They went to visit her, and they told him about Jesus and told her about Jesus. and She testified as to how Jesus in her life had taken away her fear and guilt and replaced it with peace and joy and hope. The next week at his invitation, Debbie had that good news visit team visit with Mr. Brown in the hospital room and share the good news of Jesus with him. Mr. Brown invited Jesus to come into his life. Then he got his wife and children to come and that team came back and shared the gospel with them and they too invited Jesus Christ to come into their life. Sisters and brothers, listen to me. Mr. Brown didn't get his answer. But he got something more. He got his answer. And that's what he really needed. Amen. For the truth is, we can live without answers when we have Jesus. The answer. Dear friends, what are your questions? Believe me, whatever they are, Jesus is the answer. What I mean by that is this. We can live in peace and joy and victory no matter what our situation and circumstances, even with unanswered questions, when we have a living, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, you can live in bondage to guilt and fear and bitterness and anger and confusion and lostness and darkness and separation and worry and anxiety and depression and hopelessness if you want to. Because you don't have all the answers. Or you can live in peace and assurance and joy and confidence and victory and hope with Jesus. The answer. Which will it be? Answers or the answer? Now let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you're too big for us to understand. And that through Jesus... We have learned that we can trust you even when we don't understand you. I pray, Lord, that if there is any person here who has not realized that, that they would look to the Savior, that they would invite him to come and live and reign in their life so that they may have peace in every storm. For Jesus' sake, amen.